Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan corporate and investment bank podcasts. In this episode of Market Matters, we'll hear from the market data and positioning intelligence teams within our data assets and alpha group. They'll be talking about key macro, micro, and political themes in the context of our high-frequency trading data and proprietary signals from J.P. Morgan's markets business. Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at JP Morgan. Today, I'm joined by Krupa Patel, who runs the international market intelligence team within our wider Data Assets and Alpha Group. Krupa's team focuses on European and Asian markets. And the last time we spoke to her, which was about three weeks ago, she discussed the tactical risk reward for European markets in light of the multiple growth, inflation and political headwinds in the region. Today, though, I wanted to hone in on the UK specifically with Krupa, given that the UK market has been at the forefront of headlines over the last 10 days or so, and of course, the subject of a huge amount of our recent client incomings, post the radical fiscal policies of our new Prime Minister and Chancellor, and post the major market volatility that we've witnessed. So, I'm looking forward to asking Krupa about the path forward for the UK economy in light of these developments, plus, of course, what this might mean for UK assets and how we contextualise all of this from our team's positioning and sentiment data toolkits. So, Krupa, thank you so much for being here to discuss this very topical theme. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Eloise. No, it's great. Now, a lot has happened in the UK just in the last 10 days since the new Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng's mini-budget on the 23rd of September. So, Krupa, can we just begin with a recap of the events since that Friday, both in terms of the political developments and the subsequent market impact? Of course. So, as you point out, it all began with the Chancellor Kwarteng's mini-budget announcement on the Friday before last, which came just a couple of weeks after the Prime Minister Liz Truss's $220 billion fiscal stimulus package, which was largely aimed at providing relief to households' energy bills. So, essentially, we've had four key developments in the country over the last 10 days. Firstly, the mini-budget itself, where the Chancellor pledged £45 billion pounds or 1.6% of GDP worth of tax cuts. Several measures were announced at the budget, including bringing forward the cut to the basic income tax rate, a stamp duty cut for first-time home buyers, set up of new investment zones with tax breaks, and the most controversial and unexpected cut to the top rate of income tax from 45% to 40%, which, as of this morning, has been dropped by the government given the social backlash it had prompted. So a pretty radical set of fiscal measures in what was the biggest tax cuts announced in the UK since Ted Heath was Prime Minister in 1972. It didn't, however, end at the mini-budget as Chancellor Kwarteng has over the last week promised more tax cuts across the board, which are due to be announced as a part of the full budget in the coming months. 
The second key development in the last 10 days was the market reaction to Kuoteng's mini-budget and his promises of more tax cuts to come. The pound, which had already weakened 17% versus the dollar year-to-date, was dealt a fresh blow from the mini-budget announcement as it fell to the lowest level since 1985 of 106. And then last Monday, after the Chancellor pledged more tax cuts, it hit an all-time low of 1035. So what was the reason for this sharp leg lower in the pound? Largely unfunded tax cuts on top of an already sizable fiscal stimulus package against a backdrop of still elevated, i.e. 10% inflation and a looming recession. The currency has obviously recovered since last Monday's crash and the abolition of the scrapping of the 45p tax rate has helped as well and it is now back at levels it was at pre the budget. But let me come back to this point later in the podcast. Now, while the pound's fall gained the most media attention last week, it wasn't the only asset class in the UK to get hit. The biggest moves, arguably, were in the gilts market, which going into the mini-budget announcement was already deep in bear market territory due to the ongoing global headwinds around inflation and central bank hawkishness. Across all durations, guilt yields saw record rallies post the budget, rising to levels that were last seen during the global financial crisis. But the 10-year and the 30-year were hit the hardest, rising by around 100 bips in a matter of just three trading sessions. Stock markets in the UK didn't escape unscathed from all of this either. The FTSE 250 index, which is the more domestic segment of the UK market, fell by over 5% over the last week. And the more international FTSE 100 was also down 4%, despite the lower pound, which typically would be beneficial for the index given its concentration of exporters. Third, And perhaps the most crucial development last week was the Bank of England intervention last Wednesday. The BOE intervened in the gilts market to stem the sharp rises we'd seen in yields by announcing a temporary but unlimited purchase of longer-dated yields, i.e. effectively QE, something which is now at direct odds with its current monetary tightening cycle. The total amount of bond buying so far has been estimated to be £65 billion, bigger than the tax cuts, with the large size reported to be in order to bring down guilt yields as soon as possible to avoid a potential crisis for UK pension funds, several of which had received margin calls last week post the sharp rise in yields. Also, the aim was to stabilise the mortgage market as over 1,500 lenders had to halt mortgages for repricing given the spike we'd seen in rates. The result of Bank of England's intervention was as desired on gilt markets. Yield stabilised towards the end of the week and the tenure, for example, fell back down to 3.8% from the 5% mark that it had breached post the mini-budget announcement. A lot of the recovery in the pound was also because of this extraordinary intervention from the central bank. And finally, while markets did stabilise towards the end of last week, the political and economic fallout from the mini-budget continued. As a consequence of the growing unpopularity of the new government's fiscal policies, Labour surged to a 33-point lead versus the Conservatives in a UCOV poll in what was the largest poll lead held by any party since the 1990s. 
From an economic standpoint too, inflation continuing to rise with the BRC September shop price inflation hitting a new record high last week added fuel to the fire. Also, the IMF, which had bailed the UK out during the sterling crash of 1976, urged the government to consider reversing course on its tax cuts. On Friday night, the UK's credit outlook was cut from stable to negative by the S&P. And finally, this Monday morning, we saw a dramatic U-turn from the government on its 45p tax rate abolition, as I mentioned earlier. Thank you, Krupa. Wow. Well, you had a lot to say there. And indeed, last week definitely felt like a long week here in the UK. So I guess the key question is, what are the implications of all of this? What's your take on that, Krupa? And let's start with the economic implications. So how do our economists think the inflation growth dynamic will pan out here in the UK over the coming months? Sure. Thanks, Aoiz. That's a great question and one that everyone in the UK is asking right now. Now, I think there are two ways of answering your question. One, by looking at the initial estimates of the impact of this additional fiscal spend on the British economy's growth trajectory. And two, as many of our clients have been bringing up, comparing this with history. Now, firstly, a good way of answering your question, as I mentioned earlier, would be to look at what our economists here at JP Morgan are estimating the impact to be on UK growth of all of this additional fiscal spend. Now, in line with the Chancellor Quartang's estimates, our UK economist Alan Monks is expecting growth to rise to 3.4% next year after a technical recession by year end. This means that we see near 1% of growth for the first three quarters of next year. However, in contrast to the new government's aim of bringing inflation down with the new energy package, Alan thinks all the additional fiscal spend will in fact end up fanning medium-term inflationary pressures further. On his estimates, inflation may well remain around 10% through most of next year and not halve until mid-2023. Also, I would note that while the U-turn on the 45p tax rate may be a welcome step from a political standpoint, from an economic and fiscal standpoint, it doesn't change very much because the cost to the exchequer of the measure was only £2 billion out of the £45 billion of cuts that were announced earlier. Obviously, the Bank of England's reaction function plays a crucial role in all of this as well. At its September meeting, we saw the Bank of England deliver a dovish surprise with a 50 bips hike, but markets are now pricing in over 150 bips of hikes at its third November meeting, and there is still a decent chance of an additional sizable emergency hike ahead of that meeting should market conditions worsen in the interim. In total, markets are currently pricing rates to rise up to 6% by next March, which is 375 bips above where they are currently. However, in order to get to the 3% growth that Chancellor Kuateng is estimating next year, rates may actually need to stabilise around 4% for next year. So a tricky setup for the Bank of England indeed. And how much monetary tightening they can and will enact in the coming months will be key in determining the medium-term trajectory for the UK economy. If the BOE is not aggressive enough, then inflation may stay elevated and continue to challenge growth. But if they are as restrictive as markets expect, then a longer recession may follow. Another way of answering your earlier question would be to look at historical precedents, as I mentioned earlier. 
as I was saying earlier, the tax cuts package of £45 billion announced by a new chancellor is the biggest in the UK since 1972. A similarly large tax cuts package back then, when global economies were just starting to enter the great inflation decade of the 1970s, and from which the UK wasn't unaffected either, led to an overheating of the British economy with high inflation by the mid-1970s, which subsequently resulted in the sterling crash of 1976, when we had to ask the IMF for a bailout. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that a similar plight awaits the UK economy today, as we're only just coming off a period of strong growth post the pandemic-driven recession. And it may well be that the new growth plan offsets the ongoing inflationary headwinds for markets, particularly the sterling this time. But it is hard not to draw parallels to that period in the 1970s, given the recent tax cuts have also come in an environment of elevated inflation and a weakening currency. So all in all, judging by history and our economists' estimates, it remains a bit unsure as to how much positive impact, if any, the new government's radical policies will eventually be able to have on the inflation growth trajectory over the coming year. That's very helpful. Thank you, Krupa. So in line with our economists, you're highlighting a number of risks around how positive the new government's fiscal policies will be for the UK economy. Now, let's turn to the market implications of the government's plans now. You've already discussed uh, moves in sterling gilts and the stock market to some extent. But what's your view on where these assets go from here? And when we talk about the stock market, a weaker pound is typically beneficial for globally exposed stocks and exporters. So do you think the FTSE 100, which is very globally exposed, will continue to outperform its global peers as it has been doing year to date? Thanks, Oes. So on markets, let's start with the pound first. As I mentioned earlier, after falling dangerously close to parity last Monday, the pound has gained some ground back and risen back up to 112 at the time of recording this podcast. The Bank of England's intervention last Wednesday, the government's increased communication, especially around the potential funding of these tax cuts through large-scale public spending cuts, and a reversal on the top rate of tax has clearly helped sentiment for the currency. But I think there's three things to bear in mind before getting too constructive on the pound here. One, inflation is still elevated and likely to remain so as a consequence of the new fiscal policies. Two, positioning in the pound isn't as light with mainly real money positioning extremely short, while hedge funds still in aggregate have a small net long. And three, Global growth headwinds and continued Fed tightening mean that the dollar is likely to stay elevated for a while. So in line with what our FX strategists are forecasting, I see the pound staying weak for a while, given the overall narrative of low confidence in the new government and twin deficits in the UK remains. But I do acknowledge that positive headlines around details over funding of the additional fiscal spend and a U-turn on the top rate of tax may help keep the panic we saw last week in the sterling market in check here. Now, regarding the gilts, it is interesting that we now have conflicting forces at work. On one hand, the Bank of England is still very much powering on with its monetary tightening agenda, with six hikes so far in. 
But on the other, the recent rapid rallies in Giltils have forced them to do temporary QE. Now, while the recent intervention may well help keep yields in check in the near term, I think on a medium-term basis, given the ongoing inflationary headwinds and the need for the Bank of England to continue hiking aggressively, I think yields are likely to continue moving higher. Finally, on the stock market, as you mentioned, FTSE 100 is a net beneficiary of a weak pound, given its exporter characteristics. And that trade has worked very well here to date, timed perfectly by our equity strategist, Mislav, who has been constructive on the market all year. From a medium-term perspective, as Mislav cited in his piece earlier too, he remains constructive on the market given the prospect for a weak pound and a steep valuation discount. And I think that makes a lot of sense, especially given the UK's defensive value tilt, which clearly is a benefit in this global recessionary environment. Tactically, however, until we gain more clarity and certainty over the government's finances and how the tax cuts are going to be funded, owning any UK stocks may be too risky a bet for global investors. Outside of the FTSE 100, needless to say, the more domestic exposed FTSE 250 is also likely to remain under pressure, given the ongoing political and economic uncertainty. And this is a preference that Mislav shares as well. Thank you so much, Krupa. Now, we are the Data Assets and Alpha Group. So how would you put all of this and the outlook for UK assets into context with our data toolkits? I think the most pertinent of those to highlight would be positioning data and also our sentiment toolkit. Sure. So let's begin with our proprietary bull bear buzz data product, which is an analysis of overall bull bear sentiment regarding global markets, aggregated using big data techniques across web and social media sources. Looking at this data set for the UK, we have actually seen a pretty sharp drop in the web search sentiment indicator for the market. The 12-month moving average of this indicator has now fallen fairly close to the levels that were last seen at the beginning of the pandemic in early 2020. Looking at the hedge fund flows data from our positioning intelligence team, however, things have been more nuanced. As I mentioned earlier, in line with the great call Mislav has had on the FTSE 100, we had actually seen a fair bit of buying from hedge funds for the market over the last two months. And this buying continued through the last 10 days of increased volatility in the UK. It's really the domestic segment of the UK market where the selling has been the most concentrated, both in the last two months and also over the past week. And all of this chimes well with Mislav's continued preference for FTSE 100 versus 250, something that I mentioned earlier. Interesting. Thank you, Krupa. So finally, could I ask you what the key catalysts are for investors to watch with respect to the UK over the coming weeks? Sure, thanks. So I think the OBR's assessment on November 23rd will clearly be one of the most important scheduled events to watch in the coming months. A clear and detailed plan of how the additional fiscal spend is going to be funded is what markets will be looking for at that release. Now, there were some reports of the assessment being moved forward to later this week, but the Prime Minister is still reportedly sticking to the initial date. I still think the earlier the assessment can be released, the better are the chances for the volatility we've seen in the UK markets recently to sustainably subside. 
Secondly, the Bank of England meeting on 3rd November will also be key to see if the central bank continues to tackle the still rising inflationary pressures with a large hike close to market expectations. Since this meeting is around four weeks away, I think watching the Bank of England's communication in the interim will also be key for investors. And finally, something which is not scheduled but is undoubtedly crucial in the near-term path of UK markets is the new government's communication. More details around the additional tax cuts planned, how everything is going to be funded, whether there is enough Tory support for the new policies, and also how the government reacts to the ongoing domestic and international pressure against the growth plan will all be key. Great. Thank you, Krupa. So before we wrap up, let me attempt to summarise your key points today. There have been a number of announcements from both the new UK Prime Minister, Liz Truss, and then her Chancellor, Kwasi Kwarteng, relating to a radical plan for both fiscal spend and tax cuts. These plans have raised several question marks in financial markets, most notably around how these will be funded – what these will mean for households tackling the cost of living crisis as UK GDP growth slows, and what these mean for UK inflation, which is already running hot with CPI at around 10%. And as such, since the mini-budget, we've seen a rollercoaster ride in many UK assets. The pound initially fell post the mini-budget down to under 104 versus the dollar, its lowest level ever, albeit it has since recovered somewhat. And gilt yields saw a record rally post the budget. And linked to this, the markets are now pricing in a very aggressive rate hike cycle from the Bank of England over the next six months or so in order to tackle the impact on inflation. In terms of what this all means for UK equities, there's a real divergence here, isn't there, between, on the one hand, domestic UK equities, reflected in the FTSE 250 and some of our domestically exposed custom baskets, which are really at the epicentre of many of these risks. And then on the other hand, the FTSE 100 and the UK exporters, which are somewhat cushioned by their revenues abroad and the fact a weaker sterling should actually mean a translational boost to their foreign earnings. Our strategist, Mislav, is particularly bullish on FTSE 100 for this reason. And then our data toolkits really highlight this divergence in impact on the domestic versus the international UK equity space. So our market sentiment toolkit, known as our bull bear buzz sentiment toolkit, reflects just how weak sentiment in the UK is right now. The toolkit has been sequentially falling for almost six months now and last peaked in mid-2021. On the other hand, our positioning data shows that for the FTSE 100 and for the exporters, we've actually seen meaningful net buying in those areas over the last month or two, presumably reflecting investors capitalising on the translational benefits to these names from the weaker sterling. And then finally, this is a very fluid space. And in fact, we were contending with new headlines here, even as we came into recording this podcast today. But the key catalyst to watch will include the Bank of England meeting on the 3rd of November to see how they will be tackling the rising inflationary pressures, 
noting that markets are pricing in over 150 bips of further hikes until then. And then the OBR's assessment of how the additional fiscal spend is going to be funded, which is currently scheduled for November the 23rd and will also be key. So Krupa, apologies, that was a pretty lengthy summary, but does it sound about right? Yes, absolutely. Great, thank you. And thank you once again, Krupa, for sharing your views on the UK today. It's certainly an area where we're fielding a lot of questions from clients. My pleasure. Thanks very much again for having me, Eloise. Great. And thank you also to our listeners for tuning in to this bi-weekly podcast from our group. If you'd like to explore our wider team content further or indeed get in touch, please take a look at our website at jpmorgan.com slash market dash data dash intelligence. There you can always send us a message via the contact us form. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. If you're enjoying this conversation, you can subscribe as well as our other podcasts to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Follow JP Morgan's Making Sense on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of JP Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates. Together, JP Morgan. They are not the product of JP Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Reference products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. JP Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclosures forward slash sales and trading disclaimer.